Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. What a beautiful crowd we have here today. Um, Pastor Mark is gone on vacation with his bride. Pastor Jeremy is sick at home with his bride. So they threw the new guy in the deep end, and that's okay with me. I got it, brother. Hope you all got a chance to read Song of Solomon this week. Uh, hope you did. Uh, I missed the videos. Uh, I'm still learning how to do the videos for YouTube, and Jeremy was too sick to do them. So that's, that's why there was no videos this week. So if you don't know, I'm Pastor John Sankrant, one of the pastors here at Heights Christian Church, where our motto is to love God, love God's people, and to love serving God. And we are going through the Bible in five years. So if you're here with us for five years, you have... At the end of next year, you will have gone through the entire scripture. Don't worry, we will start it all over because God's word is important for us to read and to learn. We are near the end of the fourth year. And uh, next week we'll start Matthew. But today we're going to go the entire book of uh, Song of Solomon. If any of you have read it, you know, the, uh, you know what's in it. That's all I got to say. So, if you're visiting here today, we are happy that you have chosen to join us. Uh, Like I said, we're going through the entire book of Song of Solomon. Full disclosure and a warning for those who do not know the Song of Solomon is a love poem about the excitement and romance of romance and is filled with metaphors of foreplay and lovemaking between King Solomon and his bride, the Shulamite woman. It is a celebration of this romance and love between this young couple. If you have young children in here and they pay attention, you might might have to answer questions this afternoon, so be prepared. So originally, I was slated to do the introduction to the book of Matthew. And uh, I had chosen that. Um to preach that in lieu of preaching over the Song of Solomon, but apparently God had other ideas. Pastor Jeremy told me one time, because I usually sit on the back row, he says, don't be a back row Baptist. I'm like, whoo, I know what that is, I grew up Baptist. I sat on the back row, but I did listen, I can see well from there with glasses. But uh, God has called me to be a pastor And to not sit and cower in the corner because I don't like the subject matter or I feel uncomfortable with it. Because this is a song, this is a poem about love and romance and sex. And me being single for the last 19 years, I'm having none of that, right, in my personal life. (laughs) So, here's a conversation that Pastor Mark and I had over me covering this. This was uh, probably about six, seven weeks ago. He said, would you like to preach on 24th of October? It would be covering Song of Solomon. Or would you like to preach on the introduction of Matthew on October 31st? Your choice. My response was this. We're going to look at Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 6 through 10. How beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb that palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. 
May your breast be like clusters of grape on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. So I continued. I said, do you really want a single pastor going over this? (laughs) To which Pastor Mark replied, one, you haven't always been single. Two, you have a choice of what you'd like to preach on. Three, if you feel uncomfortable, then do the introduction to Matthew. Simple as that. Amen. I had a choice. I basically was telling him I'm doing Matthew. And yet here I am today. So I responded with this. I was joking, but yes, I'll do the introduction to Matthew. Mark goes, great. And then he gave me this encouragement. Last time I checked, we ordained you as a pastor. Not a single pastor, not a divorced pastor, not a disabled pastor, not a white pastor, and not a hairy pastor. Though you are all those things. (laughs) We believe in you, pastor. Love the people. Preach the word. That's my encouragement for today. Love you. That was Mark's answer. Amen, right? That's encouragement for the new pastor. I responded with thanks. Love you too. I need a cold shower now after reading that little bit. What would I be like after an entire sermon? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we're about to find out. (laughs) So Pastor Jeremy was supposed to uh, preach here and saving me the trouble of doing so. But he became ill and then his bride became ill, so we pray for them. And uh, so the last few weeks I'd spent searching and researching and, and gathering notes over the uh, introduction to Matthew. Did not research the Song of Solomon until I was told for certain Wednesday that I was preaching on Song of Solomon. So I will try to do it justice. It is beauty. The prose of the book, with all of its metaphors and celebration of love and eagerness of sexual exploration, of what was the wedding night, but could also be this way many years after marriage, that has kept romance and attraction alive. So I looked at a commentary, and this was their thoughts. Some of my thoughts are intertwined with it. In the Song of Solomon, we have an idealized presentation of mutual love between a man and a woman as it was designed to be at creation. It is set in the springtime, which is perfect season for love and fruitfulness. This is the time of the year in which things come back to life. Plants, flowers, birds and bees, etc. Catch that, birds and bees. There we go. So at the opening of the song, we encounter the lovers longing for sexual union, for a full comprehensive possession of each other. Their eagerness for such sexual union is not seen in any sense as an unspiritual or unsanctified desire. On the contrary, this is how it was intended to be in the beginning. One man and one woman being united and becoming one flesh. The song intends to lead uh, to teach us that sex is good and pure within marriage. And it is, is the appropriate object of longing and desire before marriage. 
So this book shows uninhibited celebration of the idealized love of a man and a woman. It provides a model for us of how love was intended to be from the start. This message shows that sex is good and pure within the context of marriage just as God intended from the beginning. The Song of Songs places sexual expression firmly within context of permanent monogamous marriage. It is in that context and in that context alone that sex is good and pure. So let's get started. The Song of Solomon, we're going to start with chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. That does not sound like a woman who invited her boyfriend over for a Bible study and tea. She's longing to kiss him. This is, this is just before their marriage in the first part. She's imagining herself being kissed by the man, by Solomon. She is attracted to him. She's drawing hearts on her notebook and practicing writing her new name, Mrs. Solomon Davidson. You know, because he was the son of David, right? Davidson. In the verse, in verses uh, 13 and 14 of, the, of chapter 1, the Shulamite woman states that her lover is like a sachet of myrrh resting between her breasts. The fragrance gives her joy and peace, and that he is lovely like the henna blossoms from the vineyards of En Gedi. That's beautiful, isn't it? She's in love. This is romance. We're going to concentrate more on the romantic side. Because, you know, I'm more comfortable with that. Anyway, the Shulamite woman also compares her man to an apple tree among the forest. I would assume it's because he is different from the others. And she longs to sit in his shade because his fruit is sweet. This is in chapter 2, verse 3, if you're looking for it. She finds him very attractive, often comparing him to a gazelle or a young stag. Now, when I think of that... Metaphor there. The first thought that comes to my mind, because it was what I was raised with, is Pepe Le Pew. Bouncing up and down, chasing the cat that he's in love with. That is what I think of. That is what he's doing. She, she, she imagines him as a gazelle or a young stag. And any of you hunters know out there, they bounce also. Especially when they realize you're there. They're going to take off and they bounce. Ding, ding, ding. So we head to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is a Shulamite woman who doesn't like the way she looks. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. She doesn't like the color of her skin because she had to get out and work in the sun. Which, in that day and age, women were looked upon as more beautiful, I guess, when they were pasty white. That shows they didn't have to work. Chapter 2, verse 1, she feels that she is a rose, just a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys, and nothing special. She seems to be self-degrading. 
to her looks, but she is reassured several times that she is not to think that way. In chapter 1, verse 8, Solomon calls her the most beautiful of women, and in verse 9 compares her to a mare that pulls the chariot of Pharaoh. There's his metaphors again. This is not to say that she's a horse, but she is like the mares that pull Pharaoh's chariot. She is the best of the best. She's not weak or pitiful. She is majestic and beautiful without blemish. She is perfect. In Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, Solomon says, My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places in the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Notice that he tells her that she is, her voice is sweet and that she is lovely. She is lovely to gaze upon. She doesn't like the way she looks, but he does. This reminds me, he, he tells her that she's perfect and without blemish, and this reminds me of Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. But that she should be holy and without blemish. Many times during the Song of Solomon, as well as the friends of the woman... Many times during the song, Solomon himself, as well as the, the friends of the woman, called her beautiful. None of them buy into her misgivings about herself. They reassure her that she is beautiful. Women, men understand that there are things about your body that you do not like. But I assure you, It may be those very things that you don't like that he finds endearing about you. You might not like the way you smile, but he might like the way your smile lights up your eyes. You might think that those pants make your butt look big. Please, for the love of all that is holy, good, and righteous, do not ask him that question. We know it's a trap. (laughs) It ruins the whole year if he forgets that you're being serious and he says it's not the pants that are doing that. (laughs) Does it not? It'll ruin your day probably the rest of your year or the life. The Shulamite woman gives warnings to her friends that are there with her. In Song of Solomon 2.7. We see that she says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This warning is uh, in this verse is reiterated almost word for word in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, and again in 8, 4. There's a reason for this. Way back in Genesis 128, God ordained sex when he said, Be fruitful and multiply. To Adam and Eve. God made Eve and then gave her to Adam as his bride. 
You know, imagine that. God gave away the bride. That's how much he trusted Adam. Of course, he was the only man around. But that's how much he trusted him. Paul states in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Paul reiterates again that we are not to awaken sexual desires of intimacy, but shows in 1 Corinthians 2, or 7, 2 through 3, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. You know what he's saying there? Be romantic to each other. Give each other the, the love and affection that you want to receive and that you want to give. 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. He says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it's good for them to remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. These are the words of God. Paul is telling them, this is the direction we are. Paul was a special kind of man to remain unmarried and to exercise that kind of self-control. Nowadays, people take cold showers or go for long motorcycle rides in order to calm down from being flustered. Paul states that marriage is sacred in Hebrews 13.4 when he says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and, the, and all the sexually moral. We see that single people are to keep pure, and many times the only way to do this is to have a deeply close relationship with God in which we tell him that we have desires and need help overcoming them. Many times we fail at this, at keeping the desires at bay. However, when you have arthritis in both hips, and the pain is apparent when you get off a motorcycle after a couple hours, the only thing you can think about is sitting in a recliner and taking a nap. That is personal experience. And thank God we have grace given to us when we fail. Notice I said when we fail, not if we fail. Because we will fail. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we can. Paul states in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life because the wages of sin were paid. In Ephesians 1.7, we see in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This is speaking of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And praise God for Christ's sacrifice on that cross. Now we're going to head back to Song of Solomon. Love awakens. When it is time to awaken those desires, to when is it time to awaken those desires, to awaken love? 
We see at the end of chapter 3 and in chapter 4, Solomon arrives for the wedding to the Shulamite woman. Solomon states in Song of Solomon 4, 1 through 7, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. Isn't that romantic? Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. Coming up from the washing, each has its twin. None of them is alone. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browsed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. She sees flaws. He sees nothing. We're going to stop and look at a couple of these verses. One of them is, Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Anybody who's been married has worn a wedding dress. Sometimes they're a little low cut, but they usually have lace design of flowers around that area, right? Maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe he saw her wedding dress. Don't know what it was like back then. It was several thousand years ago. And the other one. Until the day breaks, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hills of incense. Recall what I said in chapter 1, verse 13. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. I don't think there's a hidden meaning in there of what he plans on doing. This is the wedding night. This is the wedding. As for the rest of the first part of chapter 4, Solomon's metaphors are meant to let her know that her beauty surpasses all things and that he sees, her, he sees as beautiful in the world around him. The things he's talking about, the, the goats descending down Gilead, her hair is like that. That had to be a beautiful sight for him to compare that. Today's language, we would not get away with that. He sees her. He notices her attire and how the entire ensemble enhances her beauty. In Solomon 4.16, the woman awakens her love because it is time to fulfill those desires because they are now married. This is what she says. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden and that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come to the garden and taste its choice fruits. Not much of the imagination there. She might as well have just rang the dinner bell and said, come and get it. All right? Chapter 5, verse 1 takes place after they had consummated the marriage. So that little line between verse 16 in chapter 4 and that verse 1 in chapter 5, they have consummated the marriage. And Solomon comes out and he says, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride, I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. And then he says to his friends, Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. Solomon was bragging just a little bit. 
But this whole book is a celebration of romance, love, and sex in a marriage. It is to be celebrated. We celebrate people getting married, but we don't want to hear about the wedding night because we know what's going to happen. We celebrate a couple becoming pregnant, but we don't ask them how it happened. We already know. We celebrate a bit differently now. We celebrate the love and obedience of when God said to be fruitful and multiply. We celebrate relationships and are saddened when marriages fail. Everyone who is married in this church today came together through romance. Interest was expressed. Romantic gestures were made. Bonds were created. Marriages were created and two people became one flesh. As we get older, our bodies change, our hormonal levels change, and desires no longer appear. But does the desire to give and receive romance end, or does it just fade away with time? You older people can answer that. You don't have to, but you know. Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90 when they had Isaac. Reading about their story, you know they still loved each other in their old age. Apparently, some desires didn't fade away in their story. Do men who are older look into the eyes of their bride and see the woman she was when they first married? That's another question for older couples. I would have to say yes, because I've seen couples who are still deeply in love 50 and 60 years after marriage. And they still play slap and tickle. And they still chase each other around the house, although this is with walkers. (laughs) But they love each other. And they cherish one another just as they did when they first married. Now we're going to uh, Proverbs 5.18. See, I have a Bible. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. These are the words of Solomon. Did he write this while remembering Song of Solomon, the song that he had written, the poem about his wedding day? Did he write this to remind his children and advise them to rejoice in the wives of their youth? When you observe a couple that have been married for many decades and you see how they still look at each other, I'm... I'd almost bet that neither one is seeing the age, but rather the beauty that they have seen since they first started dating. They are rejoicing in the spouse of their youth. When the right one comes along, you just know it. They might not know it, but you do. But in all seriousness, keep romance alive. It is right, it is necessary, and it is biblical. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Song of Solomon and its hard topic that shows us that love, romance, marriage, and sex within a marriage are to be celebrated and not shunned as if it is something to be ashamed of. We thank you that you are with those who are not married and that you can strengthen our resolve to abstain until marriage. We can look at this book and see the metaphors used and update them to our own culture while keeping the spirit in which they are intended as an honorable and respectful way to inform those we love just how much they mean to us. 
Father, we ask that you would watch over us and guide us as we leave here and reflect upon the words of Solomon, not as an overtly sexual poem, but as a celebration of romance and love. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.